Welcome to the Bourbon Boys. This is Chad. I'm joined by a special group of characters today. Um, Jeff Mattingly, say what's up. Hello. How's everyone doing? And Julie Mungle from the famous Mungles. Hi, everyone. Get Julie back-to-back weeks. It's, it's world must come to end. <laughs> so I'd like to start off this, this episode by getting a little more into the barrel crafting process with Jeff, and then we're going to talk about something uh, that we have upcoming, coming out uh, in Lexington area. So, Jeff, sort of, uh, if you could give me sort of a synopsis of how you uh, choose your barrels, or if you choose them, or they just sent to you. So what I'll do is, um, of course, we source from MGP and uh, different Kentucky uh, distilleries, and um, I will request samples. And once the samples come in, um, uh, that's whenever I'll select the barrels, or if it's close enough, then I'll just drive there and take full samples and and uh, select those barrels. Um, uh, but uh, whenever we, I get the barrels in, um, the barrels just don't sit uh, in uh, the distillery uh, for aging. Um, there's, uh, there's just a whole lot of finishing, uh, crafting and finishing that goes on. And I know the word crafting has a bit of a, a stigma to it in the bourbon industry, but crafting by definition is... Uh, nothing more than a skill done by hands. And an artisan is a actual person who uses that skill uh, with his hands. So uh, when it comes to crafting, um, what I do with these barrels is I multiple barrels. So, you know, bourbon barrels are just like people. They'll have a good day and a bad day and, and a good marriage and a bad marriage. So the crafting comes in when I take the juice out and and marry it with another barrel that complements it. Okay. Uh, So when you bring it, is there a certain age you look for when you start off with? Um, Well, if it's a new make, I'm a firm believer in you've got to let it marry with that barrel for the first couple of years. Because uh, you really just don't know uh, what's going to happen to it, and neither does the barrel. So after the first couple of years, then that's whenever um, I'll pull samples, um, really on a, uh, a weekly basis, and then start making adjustments. Then um, I introduce oak to uh, every single one of my barrels. Um, when I'm talking about oak, I'm not talking about wood chips or stardust or you know wood dust you know it's the actual um, uh, stage from the barrel but what i won't tell people is um which is the secret sauce is the age of the wood uh the origin of the wood and how i prep the wood uh which is uh you factor all that in those variables are just uh uh infinite when you source barrels, uh, how many barrels do you generally get at a time? Well, supply and demand, obviously, but um, generally when I get barrels in, uh, every couple of months, we'll get about uh, anywhere from 25 to 50. Okay. <clears throat> so you get a monthly? Yes. Okay. Uh, 
so when you when you actually marry like I don't I think I don't think we got into enough uh, the first podcast of what happens after you actually add the barrels together that you need to maintain. I know that after you do a blend and you put it in the uh, what's the container called? The totes. Tote. You have to watch that because there are things that can happen after you blend it that can mess up the uh, blend. Can you let us know what that is you have to maintain? Well, to each his own on on that. So if a, um, uh, and I would advise in either way, uh, whatever a guest asks us to do, uh, or a private barrel selection guest, uh, I would give my advice. Some people believe that when you do a multi-barrel pick and you blend it, they feel like you put it into a tote and it marries. Um, and the problem with that is, is once you do that, you've already changed the personality. You've already changed the profile. The minute you put it into a tote, um, you've taken it out of its natural habitat and it's, it's going to change. That's the reason why uh, I'm an advocate and I uh, highly suggest our guests when they come in, when they do a private barrel selection and they get that um, blend exactly how they want it, we bottle it immediately. That way, you know exactly uh, at that time and moment that, okay, this is what it tasted like when we blended it, and it's still going to taste the same whenever it gets into the bottle because we're going to do it the same day. And unfortunately, that doesn't happen with a lot of barrel picks. Not that that's uh, good, bad, or indifferent. It's just based on supply and demand again. So, uh, but if they do want to let it marry, what do you need to do after it's put in the tote in order for you to be able to control as many variables as possible? I know that there's okay. a like a uh, is it gas that gets in there that you have to maintain. So what happens? Um, and, and there's so many. I'm glad you asked that question. So whenever let's say you have a 250 gallon tote, and um, for example, there is 50 gallons in that tote. Um, it's versus 200 gallons that are in the tote. Uh, there's so much headspace that you have to account for that um, ethyl alcohol is just going to build up. It's, it's almost like it's going to, uh, it's combustible because it, it's actually swelling the tote up. Anytime that happens, you're going to change the profile. You're, uh, um, the displacement, everything changes. Um, the oils uh, do not combine, uh, uh, or I'm sorry, the oils do not bind, they'll separate, uh, they'll, they'll, the proteins will break down. There's just so much there uh, that has to be accounted for. So on a daily basis, I'll pull a sample and, and I'll have to relieve the pressure uh, that's on the tote. Um, I have to uh, stir it daily so that uh, it, it stays uh, good and blended. Um, there's just so many variables. There's so many things that can happen to maintain that, um, the juice that's in the tote. Now, let's say you've got 200 gallons that's in the tote. Um, you're going to have less, uh, ethyl alcohol hit space. Um, um, but you're going to have more separation. So, and you only know this whenever you, uh, when you deal with it on a daily basis that we do. Yeah. Um, 
if you don't, then, you know, you just won't experience these things. Yeah, that's kind of what I was get, trying to get at because uh, I think on the first podcast we talked a lot about the process of selecting a little bit of the and a little bit of what you do, but I think there's a certain amount of uh, misknowledge out there. People that don't know that they just think you throw it together, put it in a tote, it blends, it's good to go. There aren't things you do afterwards because there's a special art to what you do after you even put a blend together and put it in a tote. Oh that, yeah, that's it's, the it's, that's the information that I I want to uh, get out there so people know that it's not just uh, yeah the liquid going together and it's done after that. Yeah, that's the farthest thing from you're exactly right. Now I have to be careful too because if it's a if it's a private barrel selection and and uh, I'm just uh, relieving the stress from the tote, um, I don't make any changes to the juice. Now what I will do is uh, call and suggest that uh look i'm relieving pressure off of this the profile is changing uh, the uh the ethyl alcohols are um you know i can't control that because it's calling it's causing the tote to swell up which is putting more pressure and and um because water weighs 8.8 pounds and then i think bourbon is like 0. 0.7 0. 0.8 less and um in doing so that just changed the whole dynamics of property of uh, the consistency that it started out in so when uh when i suggest that it needs to be bottled then that needs to happen as soon as possible um um hell i don't know if i answered that or not no you did that's good it okay. wasn't really a question anyway i was just talking about the uh the knowledge that needs to get out there about what actually happens after you put it in the tote if you decide to blend blend yeah. it I mean, some people think blending is just putting the liquids together, and that's it. They don't really know what marrying is, so that's okay. Ask, ask me that question again, as far as what we look for in blending, and I'll answer that. Uh, I think you answered it. Okay. I think we're good. Because what I want to what I want to talk about is what it is I personally look for in, in a blend, and how do I personally blend stuff? Okay, you can just go go ahead and tell us. I don't I don't think there's anything I I need to cut yet. Okay, so what it is that we look for, in, or what I look for to blend, when I go to do uh, an in-house blend, and we've been very successful with it. Uh, as a matter of fact, we sell out of all of our in-house blends. And um, what I look for is a strong body right off the bat. Just something that's rich in the body, uh, something that's uh, thick, something that covers the uh, bourbon flavor wheel, um, uh, covers as many points as possible of the bourbon flavor wheel. Um, then I uh, then I find something that's got a uh, a very um, smooth start. Uh, something on the front end that um, that uh, is remarkable. Um, and then when I'm looking for something on the back end, it gives it that that tapers off. It just give it a nice little um, give it a a little bit of spice and pepper, but not too much. Um, and something, and so when you find the, the good, rich body, and then you have the soft front and the little pepper on the back end, when all of that complements together, I'm looking for something that is polite. So I guess if I had to um, explain my uh, all my blends, I'm looking for a polite blend. Sounds like you're talking about your dating profile. 
Yeah, it's it's on it's on um, bourbon.com. Uh, Blendersonly.com. Uh, yeah, I, I'll come up with something. <laughs> all right, I, I want to get a little bit more into uh, our upcoming project that we just finished last weekend, Julie. So, uh, sort of tell me from your point of view how it came about that you wanted to do this. Well. Part of it was your idea, and part of it we had talked about trying to find a blend that suited our taste profile different than some of the other blends that Jeff has been the father of coming out of Bourbon 30. Uh, we wanted something a little bit more unique, something maybe a little bit more bold. Um, and so after the discussions on money and business and all of the the yucky stuff that's not the fun part of bourbon we got together a week ago and a whole bunch of us went and started tasting barrels well it was only 130 in the shade that night and everybody had been at work all day and we kept tasting and tasting and sort of hit a brick wall because bourbon is, each barrel is very unique. Uh, some you like, some you don't like, some are, don't have enough to contribute to your blend per number of bottles you're making. So we gave up on Friday night, reluctantly, but we did give up on Friday night. We went back on Saturday with a smaller crew due to some of the people having to go back to work on Saturdays. And um, we started a new scavenger hunt, which Jeff was lovely. He handed us a hammer, a screwdriver, a <laughs> bone puller, and said, go searching. So we found a barrel that um, looked to originate from Four Roses, another MGP rye, and then Chad and Andrew Carlone and Ricky and I and your brother-in-law, Joel, we got into the mad science of milliliters and concoctions. So um, I think that we've come up with something that is number one, going to really please everyone. And number two, I think it's gonna surprise the hell out of everyone. And uh, Jeff Jeff seemed to be a really proud papa after he got <laughs> to taste our final our final blend. And uh, we really did look like a bunch of mad scientists there with beakers and hydrometers and gosh, all sorts of things. But what we ended up with, our product, it is going to be a beast of a bourbon uh comes out at 128 proof and so it is softer and creamier than one would think at 128 but geez it turned out good in my opinion so i'd uh i'd like to get into a little bit more of the individual uh process of, get, of getting it done um so we came in with was there six of us 
and started tasting barrels. How many barrels do you think we tasted that day, Julie? Good first God, time. probably 30. Yeah, that's probably pretty accurate. And that's the good thing about having a few more people there, in my opinion, because then you have uh, your guinea pigs that go out and taste the barrels and figure out which ones you want to try. And right. And you don't wreck your palate. But we were, we were looking for some specific things. We were looking for something that created a really awesome nose. And we were looking for something that had a really bold finish. And we were looking for something that was not over-oaked or that had too many tannins in it or something that we felt would be appreciated more across the board than someone that likes to drink toothpicks or that someone that likes to drink something very low proof. We felt like with the individual barrels that we chose, which was four, two of them were the 11-year-old MGPs, one was an MGP rye, and one was a Four Roses. And if you don't start out with good barrels, your blend isn't gonna be good. So I think that's part of the art and part of the process, but the people there that we had Friday night and Saturday, um, most of us are kind of bourbon snobs. And I think our palates collectively are really, really good. And what Jeff has to offer at Bourbon 30 my goodness, there's something there to please everyone. So when I uh, when I come in and help with a blend, I think this is my fourth time doing a blend. What I tell people, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Jeff, after I get done saying it, I tell people what I look for when I'm looking for barrels is the three main aspects of a bourbon, the beginning, the mid-palate, and the finish. Between the barrels you want to blend, you want to find something that sticks out of each of those. And then when you blend them together, it's just about finding the right proportion of a blend to really showcase each flavor or type of whatever you want to call it. Does that sound pretty accurate? Yeah, and you pretty much answered uh, your own question. One thing that... Um, Oh, the uh, Four Roses barrel that uh, Julie was talking about a while ago, that's actually one of our finishing barrels. And um, the juice that was in that, we put it in the Four Roses barrels to help uh, get that extra flavor profile. But um, uh, the, uh, the juice that was in it didn't actually come from Four Roses. I don't want Four Roses give me a call. <laughs> <laughs> Saying, what are you doing with one of our barrels? <laughs> Sorry about that, Jeff. <laughs> That's all right. If somebody from Four Roses is listening to this podcast, I'm happy. Yeah, I just want to make sure anybody from Four Roses, if you're listening, I didn't steal one of your barrels. <laughs> <laughs> I paid for it. <laughs> but, yeah, you, you, you pretty much answered uh, your own question there, Chad. One thing I'd like to say is, We've done a lot of private barrel selections at uh, Bourbon 30 Spirits. And um, one thing that I, I do want to uh, help people understand that when they come here to do these picks, you are choosing something that is unique to your club, your private barrel group, to your people. Uh, you're not choosing something that you think that everybody in the free, everybody in the and the U.S. is going to like. This is something that is uniquely yours. Um, 
for example, um, uh, the, the J. Mattingly 1845 uh, Old Baldy Badges 1 and 2, um, the, um, uh, the in-house badges we did, Crusty Old Man uh, Blondie 1 and 2, and uh, the Crusty Blonde with a prenup. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people, it pleases their palates, and some people, you know, like, this isn't for us. But uh, each private barrel selection that we do, that's what I stress to the folks that come in, is like, look, you know, don't try to be um, um, the next uh, big thing. Just look for the remarkability that, that uh, something you guys connect with uh, and uh, matches your personality. That's the beauty of what it is that we do there. What it is that you guys did with the Beast, uh, it is the most remarkable um, blend that I've been a part of that has come out of uh, my distillery. The most remarkable. Um, and uh, just super proud to, uh, to be a part of that because it was... It is totally different from anything that's ever come out of there. Cool. Well, that's what you can call us is unique. (laughs) That's for sure. (laughs) All right, so what we did is we we came in and we had a party of six or seven, eight. I can't remember how many exactly. There was a lot here Friday night. We tasted through the barrel house. We found a few that we really liked, a couple that weren't. Uh, didn't have enough juice in them any, even to really even work with, but we liked them anyway. Um, and then we narrowed it down to, I think, four that day. Right, Julie? Do you remember? The first or the second night? The first night. The first day. Yeah, I think we did narrow it down to about four that day. Uh, and then we, like you said, our, we were totally wrecked. I mean, we had uh, plenty of alcohol that day we went to eat at local feed which is also an excellent place right down the street from jeff uh if anybody's ever in town um we shut it down that day and we came back the next day had something specific in mind julie i think julie i could easily say was specifically looking for to add to the blend um how many well, we to have me this? there was something missing yeah friday night we didn't have the great nose we didn't have the great finish, so that's when we went back on the scavenger hunt on Saturday to find barrels that we had not explored Friday night. Well, I, and I could tell I I was agree I agreed that they were it was missing something, but I think you more more than most had a specific idea of what you were looking for. I just knew uh-huh. we were missing something. Uh, and then once we got those four barrels on Saturday. And we all unanimously said, yes, all four of these are great barrels. Then you and Andrew started your mad science with beakers and measurements and whatever. And then, good God almighty, I must have tasted 47 different (laughs) blends. Taste this, Julie. See what we need. More of number nine. Less of number two. You know, whatever. And so... Not only was it a really fun experience, it was a, that's a big responsibility to try to find something that isn't liked by just three people with different or odd palates. When I go on a barrel pick, I'm looking for something that is more 
universally liked by more palettes than something odd, strange, or off-profile. Because whereas that might get a lot of press, I personally think you buy bourbon to drink and enjoy. Well, that's the, the big difference between uh, bourbon 30 and a single barrel versus a blend. On a single barrel, you're just looking for something that stands out on its own. Right. When you're doing a blend, you're looking to get, A, more bottles than you can out of a basic barrel. And you're looking to do something different by adding different whiskeys together to blend them into something that's going to be unique in its own right. Uh, so we found, we came down to, I think it was four barrels, you said, uh, that we really liked. And then it came down to just blending them in the right proportions to get the flavor that we wanted. That's um, exactly what we did. And we ended up with two bourbons and two ryes. Um, so it's going to be, uh, it's like a two by two Basil Hayden just came out with. It's a similar principle with two ryes and two bourbons. Oh, don't you compare our blend to Basil Hayden. <laughs> <laughs> don't even. Uh-uh. Just, oh, I, wouldn't, no. I was just comparing like it to the, the barrels used. Bluegrass beast, beast basil Hayden two by two to hell and back. <laughs> oh, this is funny. Uh, <laughs> so, how many barrel picks do you go on where you end up choosing um, juice from rye barrels though that have been um, finished differently? It depends. We've we've done several ryes and some that were high rise that we chose over a different a different formula or recipe from that. Com- you know that distillery plus the thing about this group is that we've walked away from many also when the barrels they didn't that they gave us to choose from didn't hit any of our marks so um i think that whether you're picking for your group which really has to include more than your group because your group isn't going to usually drink 180 bottles uh, with your pick group, you know, so you're you're wanting your the other people in your group to share and enjoy it also. But there isn't anything wrong with walking away. You know, why would you pick something just because it will sell versus something that will be enjoyed? And to answer your question, Jeff, never on any pick have I tried a rye that's been ch- uh, finished in a different barrel. Uh, the closest thing I've ever gotten to would be the Maker's Select program because they add staves to it and then finish it. But, right. I mean, uh, your 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 uh, process is unique. Yeah, it, it, there's, uh, you know, just like I'm I'm not pioneering, pioneering that word, anything <laughs> that um, hasn't um, been done before. It's just what it is I do. Um, nobody else does it to that extent um i truly believe that because every time i empty a barrel it's and i start finishing uh, with a different juice it creates a whole new profile an absolute whole new profile and that's what's exciting to see how it develops over um, another couple of years everything we have there is four plus years 
and it's um, and every time uh, I've got barrels that I finished uh, I've finished probably 10 15 20 times and every single uh, every single batch uh, just is remarkable um, I don't use the oh people ask what's the best bourbon you ever had or the best whiskey you ever had well I've never had it um, I judge things on remarkability and uh, just like the um, uh, the, uh, the pick that you guys did, uh, the reason why I was so excited about it again, it was just, it was, it was without a doubt the most remarkable uh, uh, pick that has come out of there. It's so unique, so different, and uh, I'm just super excited about it. Oh, by the way, you guys are a bottle short because I've been drinking on it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the bourbon is meant to be shared. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I share it with myself every day. <laughs> so after we got done doing the blend, is when the real work started, which is why I left because I've seen it left. happen before. You left, Julie. So tell us what happened after I left, uh, starting with uh, dumping the barrels. Well, we had to, we wanted a specific number of bottles, so we had um, Dr. Andrew Carlone that was really good with math, and he got the ratios of what we needed from each barrel, uh, and exact. We didn't want to estimate. It was all measured precisely. Then it was put into the clean tote and blended together, and then it went straight to the bottler and into bottles. Um, we did not want it to change. We did not want it to, to, to change any direction at all. But that is a long ass hard day with you bailing on us. I just want you to know <laughs> that, <laughs> that was, Jeff had I mean, a distillery full of guests and visitors all day long. He'd have 30 at a time. The place was packed full from morning until closing. And he kept sending them back there to see and taste and, and, and see what we were up to. So we were, we were entertaining Jeff's guests and bottling and packaging. And um, it's still sitting over there in cartons waiting for labels and uh, new toppers and all sorts of good fun stuff, but um, that was a long, hot, hard day. Well, uh, part of the process at Bourbon 30 that makes it unique, uh, besides the actual liquid that you get to pick, is you actually get to do some of the things that normally you don't get to do at distilleries. And honestly, that could have been left out of the equation. <laughs> <laughs> we could have had Jeff and Trish do all that shit out. Yeah. But that's you a... know, the, the thing about it is, and one thing everybody appreciates, is the experience, uh, as we call it the experience, um, it is the experience from, from start to finish that um, people uh, really appreciate every you know when they leave they're like this was one hell of an experience mm -hmm. um you know people get to come in folks get to come in our guests as we as we uh, refer to everyone as guests um when our guests come in not only do they get to choose from multiple barrels but they get to take part in the entire process mm -hmm. 
And that's the reason why we call it the experience. Um, I think that I, I think could have that experienced also, a little less. <laughs> <laughs> that's something you will but, remember for the rest of your yeah. life, Julie. We're the, we're the old, we're the old guys, you know. <laughs> I, I tell you what, yes, had a lot of guests there that were that did we did let them taste the beast, and one gentleman from South Carolina was in there, and he had spent the entire week going on the bourbon trail and all that. And he tasted that, and you should have our our beast blend, and you should have seen his face. And he was begging to buy a bottle. He said it was the best bourbon he had had all week. And we're talking Buffalo Trace, Seven Hill. He'd been everywhere. So we had so many compliments that day, and Jeff was such a lovely host, not only to us, but to all of his other guests, and uh, explained to them what mad science was going on in the back room, that it really, it truly was a fun experience. One thing you guys did that I'm glad you did do was I'm not... I'm really and truly not a big fan of putting juice in the tote and letting it marry for um, for really any amount of time. Um, um, I'm glad that you guys, we, we took it, we put it in the tote, uh, obviously blended it, and then we bottled it immediately. Because one thing that people still don't understand is, is from that moment, you take it out of its natural state, and we start rectifying it, blending it, and it sets in, in, a, in another container, the properties are gonna change from that minute forward. So you're not gonna get what it was you had. And so I'm glad that you guys immediately blended it uh, because that's, uh, you, you affirmed yourself once we got done, everything was in the bottles, uh, confirmed it, and it was affirmation of what it is that we already knew. So I'm glad that you guys, uh, bottled that it's just it's just uh, um, phenomenal remarkably phenomenal just damn you guys hit this um, you, you hit this one out of the park so now that it's in the bottle uh, what are the next steps in the process generally speaking we don't have to talk about the beast itself but for people that want to come in and do a blend after you get it in the bottle uh, what's the next step well, depending on, uh, we, <clears throat> we treat every private barrel selection uh, individually. Mm -hmm. um, that's something, it's all part of the experience. What you guys uh, requested may be different from someone else. Now, obviously there's a business side that uh, we have to uh, keep things uh, within a realm of feasibility and with our numbers, of course. But um, once the, once the, the juice is, uh, we select the bottles that, or the, the guests select the bottles, the private barrel selection group selects the bottles. So uh, juice goes into bottles and obviously the corks have been selected. And, and you, have, really and you have three bottles to choose from, right? Three different types of bottles. Yeah, we have a couple of bottles to choose from. And once the juice gets in the bottle, obviously the cork has already been chosen. Uh, we put the cork in and by that time, we're generally waiting on approval from the TTB, and um, uh, the lay was to be printed. Yeah. And that process takes um, from from pick time to where it's in your possession. We like to keep it three weeks to a month. Okay. 
Yeah, that's that's what I was trying to get at was the uh, the labeling process. In general, generally the duration or the time period from bottling to when you can hopefully expect. Of course, it's it varies depending on the uh, label approvals. Right, the label approvals currently are about um, I want to say seven days by the TTB, and um, really, if there's anything that holds anything up, it's revisions. Mm -hmm. So we try to work um, as aggressively as we can uh, with the group. Uh, to make any um, revisions necessary so we can, you know, get that bottle into your hands. Awesome. Yeah. All right, uh, Jeff, do you have anything coming up that you want to talk about? Is there anything uh, new at the distillery coming up? Um, well, every day uh, we are, uh, we get more and more traction with the private barrel selections. And um, we get more and more calls about people that are like, you know, what is this experience? So anything that's coming up really and truly just deals with uh, um, can we come and do a unique private barrel selection? So, um, um, hell, I guess that's what you're looking for. I don't yeah. Know. <laughs> All right. I Jim think we need to have a BBT mythical Jamboree over there, sometime sooner this summer. Sounds good to me. <laughs> You're speaking Jeff's language. He loves jamborees. <laughs> now, Chad, there is a couple of things that we are working on um, that we're looking into that has to do with um, um, coffee mm -hmm. and um, a hemp and um, um, something else. And you should try their maple syrup. Oh, the syrup. That's right. Nice. So, maple syrup is to die for. So, Chad, I'm looking at the Mongols uh, bar right now, trying to figure out what it is I'm going to drink next. What good do you luck. suggest, sir? Uh, pretty much anything they offer you is good. <laughs> Ho uh, hopefully they still have some of those sparkling ice bottles of uh, Wisconsin rye left there. Oh, hell no. <laughs> oh, hell no. <laughs> well, what I'm looking for right now is... is is the bottle that they've hidden from me of your all's pick. I'm going to find it. <laughs> <laughs> well, he let us have a scavenger hunt at his place. We'll absolutely let him have a scavenger hunt at our place. Oh, there's plenty of nooks and crannies there with stuff hidden. Oh, hey, I found it, dude. Uh, <laughs> I, would just, I would just like to say that for our group, whether it be Mythical Beast or Bluegrass, BBT, um, Jeff and Trish were wonderful hosts and hostesses to us. Uh, they made sure that we had what we needed. If we were thirsty, hot, they brought another fan. They bring chairs. Um, I can't say enough about Bourbon 30. And not only the experience, but the bottle that we actually are leaving with, I think will surprise and amaze a whole lot of people. Well, I was going to ask you if you had any closing uh, statements. I think you just made it. Uh, so, yes. in closing, I'll just say I hope everybody enjoys the beast. I'm looking forward to the finished product. We got some interesting twists that haven't come out yet uh, that are coming different from most other of the barrel picks that have come out so far. So, 
everybody. Everyone, everybody watch out for the bluegrass bees. It's coming at you. So, everybody yeah. have a good day and enjoy the podcast. Thanks, right. Jen.